You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, here we are. It is December 1st. I was thinking about that this morning. I can't believe December's already here. It felt like November just started. Um, but here we are, December 1st, snow is on the ground, uh, Christmas trees are going up, people are shopping like crazy, like that old carol goes, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas out there. Well, um, we're, anybody knows our family well, you would know that we, we're kind of a Christmas uh, crazy family. We love Christmas in our house, we love to decorate, we love the lights, the food, we love the movies, the smells of Christmas. We love the gift giving and the anticipation of it all. It's an exciting time. As a kid, for both Kim and myself, we both loved Christmas. Christmas was a big deal in our, our families. Uh, when you get two of those kind of people that get married, it, it's a little crazy. Uh, we love Christmas as much as we do. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, now, as I mentioned all of that, you know, all that secular part of Christmas, all of those things, all the fun stuff, um, I also have great memories as a kid uh, going to church, you know, during Advent season, seeing the lighting of the Advent calendars. In our church, we used to have these Advent banners that would go up on the wall, and it was kind of a countdown to Christmas. We'd be singing Christmas hymns. I remember we had Christmas plays. I remember dressing up. Well, I had three brothers, so we were the, the three wise men in the play. Or I have two brothers, so we were three. Um, remember going to our candlelight Christmas Eve service and just loving it. It just felt so warm. We turned the lights down. We're all holding candles, singing Silent Night, hearing our pastor uh, telling the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. But I have to say also, as I look back on those days, there, there always seemed to be a divide between the secular and the spiritual. There always seemed to be a push and pull between the real meaning of Christmas and, and the worldly concept of Christmas. Now, to be fair, that the celebration of Christmas isn't really something we see in Scripture. Yes, we see the birth of Christ, but we, didn't, we don't see the apostles celebrating Christmas in the first century. We don't see the first century church celebrating Christmas. Uh, maybe they had a memorial, but we don't see it uh, in Scripture. Jesus never gave us the ordinance of Christmas to celebrate until he comes back. Uh, when you do study the history of Christmas, you're, you're going to see that Christmas is, is a tradition. Christmas uh, is, is really a reaction uh, to the pagan culture. Back in uh, the 3rd and 4th century uh, in the Roman Empire, uh, pagans were, were worshipping uh, on December 21st, right, the, uh, the winter solstice. They were worshipping their own false god, Saturnalius, uh, the birth of this, this, this sun planet god. And so in reaction to this, the church at that time began to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on December 25th as a bit of a, a direct opposition to the pagan celebration. And part of the reason was to, to reach them with the gospel. And so as the years went on, the celebration of Christmas stuck in the church. It became widely accepted as a holy season within the Roman church. And then it spread across Europe into Scandinavia, picking up all kinds of traditions along the way right up until today, crosses the ocean, North America, to what we have today is what we know as Christmas. But in the center of it all, it is commemorating and it is celebrating the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, 
this great and glorious truth that we treasure as Christians. So it's not mandated by Scripture, but we welcome it. We welcome it as a tradition to remind us. Even Advent is just a tradition, just meant to remind us of the gospel, to remind us of Jesus coming 2,000 years ago, this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger for the purpose of salvation for the world. It's amazing. It's good news of great joy. It's the best news that anyone could ever come to know. In fact, it's the good news that the world has been waiting for. Ever since the beginning, ever since we sinned in the garden, our parents, Adam and Eve, ever since they sinned, we have been waiting for a Savior. We were waiting for a Savior. If you go back and look at Genesis 3.16, waiting for a Savior who is going to come and crush the head of Satan. That's really what the Christmas story is about. But who would this Savior be? Who would this man be that's being promised in Scripture? Who is that one who is to come And what would we call him? Well, as redemptive history uh, continued to unfold from the very beginning of Scripture on up through the patriarchs and and the prophets, the Lord revealed a lot more information about who this Savior was going to be, where he's going to come from, what he would be called. In Genesis 12, we learn that he would be a descendant of Abraham. He would be a descendant of Jacob. He would be a descendant. He would would come out of the the 12 tribes of Israel, and he would come from the tribe of Judah. We also learn that he would be an offshoot of Jesse, meaning he would also be a descendant of King David. He would be a kingly savior. And then in our text today in Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus was even born, God began revealing more information more prophecy, more revelation about who this Savior is going to be, which brings us to our text of focus today in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to start reading right from the beginning of chapter 9 all the way up to verse 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you and with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff For his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you that so long ago you were revealing more about who the Savior was going to be. We thank you that through uh, your prophet, Isaiah, you were speaking to your people. You were speaking to a sinful, wayward people, a people who were about to be judged for their sin. But in that judgment, you also spoke of hope. You spoke of a Savior coming. You spoke of one who would come to the people who were walking in darkness. There was a great light coming into their deep darkness that you were going to destroy their enemy through the birth of a child, the birth of a son, and the government, the rulers, were no match for him. And then you gave him names, names that really spoke of his character, of his personhood, and of who he is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today, Lord, as we focus on the first name, as we focus on Wonderful Counselor, would you teach us what that means and how that applies to us and how that leads our hearts to worship you more and more on this day. And as we draw closer and closer to Christmas Day, that we would not forget the wonderful Counselor you have sent us in your Son. We pray this in his name and in his name alone. Amen. So we see here four names, four powerful names, four unique names, names that uh, maybe you've read before or you've saw, maybe stamped in a Christmas card, maybe you've sang a Christmas hymn that has these names. Sometimes we can look at these four names and we can just kind of gloss over them quickly and we miss the powerful significance and character of our Savior being revealed through these names. But over this Christmas season, I'm going to challenge you to meditate upon these names and apply them deeply into our hearts so that our minds can be renewed, that we can get our eyes off of ourselves and onto our Savior, the Savior of Christmas. So for the next four weeks, we're going to examine these four names. We're going to discover the glorious character of Christ that we see in them. And the first name that we're going to look at is Wonderful Counselor. It says that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. According to Isaiah, the Savior of the world, the Savior that we have been waiting for, is a wonderful counselor. The Savior that you and I still need today is a wonderful counselor. But what does that mean? Why do we need a wonderful counselor? Well, we need a wonderful counselor because you and I need a Savior and we need somebody to be counseling our souls because we are tragically foolish. We are tragically foolish people. We always have been. That's what we're born into. And these four names that God has been revealing to us is going to challenge our foolish character as people. And so that's your very first point. We are, we are tragically foolish. Throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over again the people of Israel turning away from their Lord because they love the world more than him. That's tragically foolish. But out of love for his people, God was sending prophets. He was sending prophets like Isaiah, those who are specially indwelt by his Holy Spirit to speak the words of God, to warn God's people, about the tragic consequences of their foolishness, of their sinfulness. 
warning them about the consequences of their sin. But like we said, in the middle of that, we always see a message of hope. When God had a message of judgment in the Old Testament, there was always hope uh, to come. There was a message of hope embedded in the warning. And so we see this over and over again in, in the prophecies of Isaiah. And in the context of our, our verse today comes at such a time when God's people were in rebellion against God. They were running from God. They were going their own way. They were following the world. They were, they were actually forgetting their God. In the first verses of Isaiah in, in, in uh, chapter 1, we get a glimpse as to the state of, of these people. Isaiah 1, verses 2 to 4. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they are utterly estranged. That's a glimpse into the people of Israel. And there's a lot, of, there's a lot more when you go and study the first. In chapter 3, there's a lot about it. In chapter 5 as well. But what's going on here is, is the people of, of Judah, people of Israel, were living a lavish lifestyle. It was a real time of prosperity when Isaiah came in as prophet. But it soon turned to infatuation as God was bringing prosperity people started to fall in love with the stuff. They were infatuated with all kinds of idolatry and greed. Uh, you look at the scriptures, it, it talks about them being full of pride. They were worshiping the things made with their hands. And on and on, on it goes. It sounds a lot like our culture today, worshiping everything else but the one who provides all the good things. But then as Isaiah goes on, we see that because of their wickedness, because they turned away from the Lord, and as they were turning to idols, God was going to bring judgment upon his people. And so Isaiah was prophesying about a coming day of judgment. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Isaiah 2, 17 to 19. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of man shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Judgment was coming. And he was bringing it upon his people. So if you look at the history behind the book of Isaiah, you know that the Lord did bring judgment upon uh, them. We have two kingdoms at this time, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, Israel at the top, Judah at the bottom. The northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC. And then the southern kingdom was captured Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and the people were then taken into 70 years of captivity in the year 586. 
So the warnings and the prophecies of Isaiah were coming true. God's warning came true. He was using Assyria. He was using Babylon to judge his people. Why? Because they were tragically foolish, turning away from their God. Cycle of sin. And this cycle of sin that we see throughout history is the same cycle of sin that we deal with today, right? As, as foolish as God's people were in the Old Testament, the world today is just as foolish. And the ultimate judgment of God is coming for those who persist in their rebellion against a loving and gracious Father. Romans 1, 18-22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We are tragically foolish people, naturally. Just like the people of Israel, our sin and our rebellion deserves God's just wrath. It does. You and I are naturally and tragically foolish we are futile in our thinking, as Romans says. Our hearts are dark with sin apart from Christ. Apart from God, we think that we are, are, are wise. We think that, that we are the ones who are ruling. And we turn away from the truth of him, and we turn to ourselves. We're, we're tragically foolish. So what's the answer for all of this? Where's the hope for the people? What's the whole point? Well, as serious as we just read God is over sin, as serious as he is for judgment of sin, his just wrath, he is more serious about the solution. With Isaiah's warning of judgment, he also speaks of hope. Hope of a Savior, a Savior that is coming into their darkness, that there is a coming day and that light is about to come to his people. Isaiah 8, verse 22, just before our scripture, it says, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That's the world apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, apart from him ever coming, it was dark. But the light was coming in Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Where has Jesus been ministering as we've been studying the book of Mark? In Galilee. And we just read in Micah 5, 2, that he would come from Bethlehem. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light 
has shown. As, as Isaiah is prophesying, he's, all, he's speaking like it's already happening. A lot of times when you see Isaiah prophesying, it's like he's talking about future and then he's talking about it happening. But it is immediate. It's coming to God's people. And then down to our focus today, verse 6 of chapter 9. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to be a ruler. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Friends, we need a wonderful counselor because we're tragically foolish. As you study your Bibles, as you study the wisdom literature in the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs, you always see this contrast between the fool and the wise. As you study Proverbs, you're going to see over and over again that when a fool is left to his own devices, when he turns away from his father's and mother's wisdom and he seeks his own way, it always ends up in tragic consequences. For example, in Proverbs 7, a young man is warned to keep the commandments of God, to hold fast to wisdom, to love wisdom like a sister. He's been warned to stay away from the temptations of a forbidden woman. But as the story unfolds in Proverbs 7, you see this young man. It says that he's lacking sense. He's foolish. And he follows his flesh. He turns away from the commandments of God, follows his flesh, and goes in towards temptation. And it leads to his ultimate destruction. Proverbs 7, 21 to 23. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Who does that remind you of? Persuasion, smooth talk. Sounds like the serpent in the garden. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. So when you think of foolishness, don't just think of clumsiness. Don't just think of silliness. Think of tragic senselessness. Tragic foolishness that leads to destruction. Isaiah himself says later in chapter 32, For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity, busy with sin, to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and to deprive the thirsty of drink. To, to be a fool is to be captivated with sin and to be captivated with self. It's to be ungodly. It's to be in error. It's to be in sin. And so as you and I are all born sinners, we are all born fools. And we continue in that foolishness. But according to Proverbs, there is always a choice. There's always this choice between the way of wisdom and the way of folly. Lady wisdom, lady folly. That's how the Proverbs works. There's a choice between the two. It's a way of blessing or it's a way of destruction. But the problem is, is that more often than not, the world and you and me often choose folly over wisdom. And so according to Isaiah, we, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. 
Wisdom that can't be found within ourselves. Wisdom that can't be found in this world. Wisdom that can't be found in self-help books or secular ideas or science. But wisdom from God, it's supernatural wisdom. We need a wonderful counselor. And we need a wonderful counselor because God and God alone is supernaturally wise. God is supernaturally wise. He is. This title of wonderful counselor has more to it than, than maybe we, we read at first glance. You see the word wonderful here comes from the Hebrew word pele. Pele is used 54 times speaking of God in the Old Testament. Used 54 times to speak of the supernatural acts of God. And this word is often translated as wonder or wonderful, wondrous, marvelous. It really speaks of, 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 of being full of wonder and marveling at things that can only be explained through God. Wondrous things, things to behold, things to be full of wonder that can only be explained by the supernatural hand of God. For example, when Abraham and Sarah were unable to have a child and they were very old, the Lord promised that they would have a baby. He said to them in Genesis 18, 14, Is anything too pele? Is anything too wonderful? For the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And guess what? They had a child, right? Because of the wondrous work of God, the wonderful hand of God. When God commissioned Moses to go to Pharaoh to set his people free, he tells Moses, it can only be completed by his mighty hand, Exodus 3.20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the Pele wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. It was a miracle. It was wondrous that Pharaoh let God's people go. It was, it was a miracle. It was a wonder that the, the sea split in half so they could walk across on dry ground. The Psalms sing of God's wonder, God's pele. Psalm 107, 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And so when we're thinking about this wonderful counselor to come, it's speaking of the supernatural. It's speaking of the divine. It speaks of something that can only be completed by the wonderful hand of God. Wonder. And then we have the title counselor. Counselor speaks of one who advises, one who plans, someone who gives sound wisdom to the problems of the world. And so the title, Wonderful Counselor, speaks of supernatural wisdom that can only be explained by the hand of God. That's who this wonderful counselor is that is to come to God's people. Our God is supernaturally wise, and we desperately need his wisdom. 
We need it every moment of every day. We just sang about that. We need the Lord every hour. Especially when we're caught in sin. Especially when we are blinded by our own foolishness. Especially when our hearts are far from God. We need wisdom. We need wondrous wisdom. Isaiah says, says later in chapter 29, verse 13 to 14, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is commanded as the commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. What a gracious Wonderful God, did you hear that? Because we turn away from God, He turns to us. Because we seek our own wisdom, our own way, He pursues us with His wisdom. He sends a wonderful counselor. And His wisdom will overcome. It's a promise. So we need to see His wonder in order for our foolishness to be destroyed. You know, we find ourselves sometimes in a funk of sin, right? Falling back into a trap, an old trap. Giving ourselves a temptation. Worshipping the idols of this world. Being consumed with self. Friends, the way out is to be in awe of the wonder of God. It's to be in awe of who He is, what He has done, what He is doing. We are tragically foolish, and we need to be in awe of our wondrous, wise, counseling God, running to his feet, begging for wisdom, feasting upon the wisdom that is found in his word. You know, we, we, we look to the world for wisdom. We have the book of wisdom. It's so full of God. It's so full of him. It's so full of his wondrous works. Just look at everything that he has done. See how wonderful he is. If we're not applying the knowledge of the Lord, of our, of our Lord God, to our hearts as wisdom, our thoughts will go astray. They will betray us. And sometimes we run to the wisdom of the world. Worldly wisdom has no power. Worldly wisdom does not come from heaven. When we consume the wisdom of the world, we are blinded. And it keeps us even from seeing the wondrous works of God. But what we need is a regular diet of his wisdom. His wisdom as he works wonders in the pages of Scripture, he works wonders on our hearts. Only God can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. That is the most wondrous thing that he can do for us. He puts his Holy Spirit within us. Causes us to be able to believe and to follow his ways. We need a faithful diet of his word. Also to feed our ways, to, to point us towards his will. He works wonders. 
He does that through our thinking. As we read God's Word, as we study who He is diligently, faithfully, He changes the way that we think. We need His thoughts, not our thoughts. Our thoughts will betray us. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says, For my thoughts, this is from the Lord, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, we need higher thoughts. We need higher ways. We need wonderful counsel. Wonderful counsel that leads our hearts to be in awe and fear of who God is, worshiping him for who he truly is. We just sang in, O come, O come, Emmanuel. There's one verse in there that says, O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things far and nigh, to us the path of knowledge show and cause us in her ways to go. We need wisdom, supernatural wisdom. You see, in Israel's rebellion and idolatry, the people of, that Isaiah was warning, they, they stopped seeking the counsel of the Lord. They stopped seeking God's wisdom, and they began to seek wisdom from men. Wisdom from fortune tellers, it says in chapter 3. They began searching Eastern wisdom, wisdom from darkness, and it was leading them to destruction. Proverbs says twice that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Our worldly wisdom just seems right sometimes. But if it's not God's wisdom, it's the way of death. So let me ask you, what wisdom are you seeking today? What insights are you running to in the midst of your suffering, in your anxiety, in your stress, in your pain, in your exhaustion, in your busyness? You name it. What are you running to? Is it the counsel of the wonderful counselor, or is it from the world? Maybe you've got a well-meaning coworker, unbeliever, has great intentions, but only offers worldly advice. Are you seeking wisdom for yourself? Are you seeking? just your flesh for wisdom, your own thoughts apart from the revealed word of, of God, it, it's going to betray you. It's going to lie to you, telling you that I need more time for myself. I need more self-care. I need more me time. I need more stuff. I need more of me, more of me. We need more of the wonderful counselor. Maybe you're seeking wisdom from the latest self-help book. Maybe you're seeking wisdom from Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil or Oprah. I don't even know if she's on TV anymore. Maybe you're seeking wisdom from some kind of veiled Eastern mysticism. It's all around us, and it's even invading the church. We have to be careful. The point is that there are endless worldly resources. There are. Just go to the bookstore. The faith section at chapters is about that big compared to this massive store today. But all of that help, all of that earthly wisdom is empty. It is fruitless, and it never gets to the heart. It never gets to the root of the problem. And the reason it is like that 
is because it doesn't have the gospel. It doesn't have the good news of a wonderful counselor, the wonderful counselor of God. Isaiah 28, 29 says that God is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. That's who we need to be running to. That's the kind of wisdom that we need. Excellent, wondrous counsel from the very God who knows us best. The God who knows exactly what our problems are. And he's the only one that can fix our broken spiritual hearts. Wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So why are we filling our minds with temporary lies when we can be filling them with the eternal truth of the wonderful counselor? Well, getting back to the people of Israel, it was too late for them. The people that Isaiah was was warning were facing judgment. Like we said, there was judgment coming through Assyria in the northern kingdom and then later from Babylon in the southern kingdom. They were going to be judged and it was going to be fierce. Just study history and see what happened. It was fierce. God was in it. But in that judgment, there was hope. And the hope amidst the judgment was that there was a wonderful counselor coming. A wonderful counselor coming. A child, we read, a child is to be born. A son is to be given. One coming who would be higher than all authorities, but one who would be humbled to a lowly stable, a dirty manger. One who would die the most humiliating death for our tragic foolishness. That's our wonderful counselor. Christmas is about the coming of the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. The incarnation. It's the incarnation of supernatural wisdom in the form of a man, a God-man. Why? Because we're tragically foolish. We couldn't save ourselves. Left to ourselves, we're just going to continue in our folly and go towards destruction. We need supernatural wisdom, and he came as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus miraculously became wisdom for us. He is the wonderful counselor Isaiah prophesied about so long ago. He is the one from the very beginning who the world was waiting for. He was the one who was going to come and finally destroy Satan and save his people. Save people through his incarnation, through his life, through his death, through his burial and his resurrection. This is wisdom that was born of a virgin. Wisdom wrapped in swaddling cloths. Wisdom prevailing where you and I are failing. Wisdom himself who is teaching about the kingdom of God. Wisdom who is healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding the thousands, walking on water, clearing the temple, and then taking the punishment in the death of a fool. He took our place. He took the place of a fool, the perfect, wonderful counselor, taking the nails, taking the beating, 
taking the lashings and the death and the wrath of God for us. That's the beautiful gospel that we share together, that we live by, that, that fuels our hearts. But to the world, it is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Go down to 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 21. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who we believe. We have a foolish message in the eyes of the world. But that foolish message in the eyes of the world is the only message that can save. The world despises the very wisdom that came to save them. Ask yourself, am I despising the very wisdom that has come down to save me? Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't say that I despise it, but maybe in my private actions, my private thoughts, my life, maybe the, the fruit is proving that I'm despising it. Maybe there's someone here today and you think this is just all hogwash. doesn't make sense. How can the death of someone do anything? Maybe you think this whole Christianity thing is just a waste of time. If that's you, the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit and your church beg you to examine yourself, beg you to look at your heart, beg you to see the foolishness that exists. We beg you to look at your own eyes, spiritual eyes, and see your, your blindness, your ears that are stopped to the truth. We beg you to, to look at yourself and, and see that apart from Christ, all you have is empty wisdom. Worldly wisdom that leads to death and eternal judgment. If that's you this morning, we call on you to turn away from your folly. Turn away from your foolish ways. Listen to the supernatural wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 30, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So why? So that no human might boast in the presence of God. It's Christ alone, our wonderful counselor. Only he can save. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You can't please God on your own. You can't be good enough. You can't be wise enough. Verse 30, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Christ became wisdom. For us, from God, he became wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is wisdom come down. He is wisdom incarnate. Wisdom that lived, wisdom that died, and wisdom that rose again for the salvation of the world. He rose again for 
the salvation of fools. Fools like you and me. We need his wisdom every second, every minute, every hour, every day of our life. Without his supernatural wisdom, even as Christians, we're still prone to folly. We're still prone to wander. We're still prone to foolishness. The old man still rises up and wants to get his way at times. You know, in the Old Testament, we learn about the son of David. We learn of Solomon. What does the Bible say about him? He was the wisest man, the wisest man in all the earth. God gave him wisdom. The scriptures say in 1 Kings 4, 34, the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him great wisdom. This is a man who who wrote over 3,000 proverbs, over 1,000 songs. He, He increased the kingdom of God like we've never seen before. He built the temple of the Lord. He wrote three books that are in our Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. He was extremely wise. Everybody from all over the world were coming to him. Yet in the end, he turned away from God. He turned away from the very wisdom that God spoke through him and for him. He turned to indulgence. He turned to immorality. He turned to sensuality, idolatry. And in the end, the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart turned away from the Lord. And he raised up adversaries similar to what we're seeing. Adversaries to come and to tear the kingdom away from him. Judgment. We need God's wisdom to the very end. We need it every day. And this comes through the person of wisdom, the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ himself, who he even said about himself in Matthew 12, 42, that something greater than Solomon is here, and it is him. Jesus is the supernatural wisdom of God in a person. And as we are found is him in him and, and his spirit is found within us and his word is constantly being consumed, feeding our minds, changing our hearts, changing our actions, we don't have to be like Solomon. Something greater than Solomon has come. The wonderful counselor has come. So as you're anticipating the great things that are to come this Christmas, don't forget to celebrate the wonderful counselor. The counselor who became to us wisdom from God, who who came to us and gave us the gift of righteousness, the gift of sanctification, the gift of redemption of our souls, salvation for the tragically foolish. We are tragically foolish, but God is supernaturally wise. Therefore, Jesus became miraculous wisdom for us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to look at those three names in the week's 
to come, but let's meditate upon our wonderful counselor, how much we need him every day and every hour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful counsel. We thank you first for just revealing to us who you are through your word. Apart from your word, we wouldn't know you. We wouldn't have access to your wonderful counsel. We wouldn't have access to truth. We wouldn't have access to Jesus. We wouldn't even know his name apart from your word. And we also see how how his character is revealed in these titles, in these names from Isaiah 9. And Lord, we thank you for revealing to us and to your people of old that you were sending a wonderful counselor. You were sending wisdom in the flesh. Oh, Lord, how we need him. How we need him every hour. We need you right now. As we approach the Christmas season with the busyness and, and all that goes with it, it's, it's, we thank you for it. It's a lot of fun, a lot of tradition. But help us to have our hearts on you. Help us to be feasting upon your wisdom. Feasting upon your word that your Holy Spirit would be taking the words of life found in Scripture and that you'd be impressing it upon our hearts, counseling our souls, counseling all that ails us so that it would lead to true worship, worship that is rightly yours, the glory of your name alone. Lord, only you can do that work in us. As we leave today, help our hearts to meditate upon the wonderful Counselor, seeking his wisdom in all that we do, knowing that our righteousness is found in nobody else. Our righteousness is not found in us. It is found in him alone. Let us sing now. Sing praises to your name. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.